Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. This week we have another very special guest we are interviewing for you. We are diverging slightly away from the swimming world but keeping it within close proximity and we are this week talking to a professional triathlete in Kieran Linders. Now Kieran is competing in the Challenge Daytona in a few weeks time racing against the likes of Alistair and Johnny Brownlee so it is a very big event to be part of so we can't wait to speak to Kieran and basically understand the preparation that is involved in a swimming side of things when it comes to professional triathlon and what sort of training he does. Okay so welcome to this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast Kieran. How are you doing first of all because I know it's lockdown right now how are you how are you coping with that? Um I'm doing really well, thank you. Thank you for asking. Um, it's, it's kind of a tough situation for everyone, I think. Um, however, because it's the second time round, um, as much as it might be a bit of a mental blow, we've kind of already had a run-through of what lockdown is and what lockdown means. Yeah. Um, so I think you might be kind of in the similar boat where as much as it's been frustrating for a lot of people, especially pure swimmers, um, at least there should be kind of some sort of thing in place where, you know, you found out what land training exercise works for you or your, or your coaches have, have developed an online program or something is similar. So I think the approach that I've been taking is, yeah, it's annoying and it's mentally crushing, but we've been through it once. Um, so at least this time around, we're better prepared. Yeah, definitely. We, me and Dan as a YouTube channel, we definitely feel a lot more prepared for what was ahead. We kind of saw it in in writing before it actually happened so we were able to i don't know predict what we needed to do to get ourselves through which was more reassuring than the last one yeah and i think um i think as well with especially in the swimming world there's lots of i mean an of what would happen and what wouldn't happen and i think sometimes when you when you're given an answer as much as it might not be the answer that you're looking for at least you then know what to do. I think the worst situation is when there's that kind of um and ah and about whether the pools will be open, whether the pools won't be open. Because I remember early when they first opened the pools, it was very much, are oh, they going to close them next week? Are they going to reopen them? Gonna and it was quite, um, it's the unknown, that was difficult wasn't it? because you couldn't prepare for it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we got you on this week because in a few weeks' time, you are competing in the Challenge Daytona. So many of our audience may not know what that is. So do you want to explain that to them? So the Challenge Daytona race is a um, it's, its own race where we where in America famous NASCAR uh, Daytona circuit, and it's kind of one of those dream events that you go to, and it's you kind of can't really believe where you're racing because it's such an iconic location. Yeah, um, and with Every sport this year, there's been quite a few. Um, uh, obviously, the the racing season has been affected quite heavily. Mm. And from the professional side, uh, there's a lot of people that rely on racing and race results for their income. So I'm part of a um, professional triathlon union, Okay. Um, which we kind of make sure that all the things that are important to the athletes to kind of looked after. So when you're against some big um, organization, race organizations that the athletes have a voice, Okay. Um, yeah. we can all come together. 
And one of the main goals for the PTO is to kind of show triathlon and have triathletes respected as athletes to the likes of golfers or professional car racers or tennis players so that we're recognized and mm. because a lot of the races has been cancelled and the main championship race had been cancelled the pto and the and challenge came together and they're putting on this big race which many are because a lot of the true world championships didn't go ahead people are classing this and because the field of the strength is kind of the the, the almost like the world championship sort of status um, okay even yeah, though yeah. it's it's not labeled that um directly um but it's it's a big opportunity where they're bringing the best athletes and um and there's lots of prize money involved and it's going to be uh, just slightly shorter or slightly um changed distances than from uh, what a usual half ironman would be okay um so it's a 2k swim an 80k bike and then an 18k run um and that's to kind of help balance between um some of the long uh, longer course athletes and then also some of the shorter course athletes so there's kind of a nice medium in, in the middle so it's fair on everyone so you're really trying to get a a big wide field for this because this might be their first chance of racing this season oh 100 percent, and um they've been very open and forward with with how they're picking people to do the event and they've also offered uh, a lot of opportunities uh, for people like me who are new to the kind of almost ranking system where we haven't had the race opportunities to show ability and they set out criteria for um, a lot of younger athletes that if they've shown uh, prowess in the past that they'd then be also given an opportunity so it wasn't just people that had already established themselves and have been at the top of years they were quite open in giving some new people who show potential and opportunity to race as well Okay, so is it like an invite-only event, or do you have to fund your entry? So how it works is if you, within this um, professional triathlon, um, the, the PTO, they have their own individual rankings, and okay. they they take results from uh, different race brands, um, because at, at a professional level, it's not quite like you go to the Olympics or the World Championships. It's, it's one almost unified body there's multiple racing brands so they take um all of the different racing brands and kind of almost have some sort of unified ranking order um to say well if you won the challenge world championships or if you were or if you had won the ironman world championships there would then be a list that would join those results together and kind of um, give an official ranking of each athlete okay. um now the pto has only been around uh, it's very in its early stages. It hasn't been around for very long, so this system is being tweaked and, and changed. Um, but from this ranking list, they have picked the top 40 athletes, right. and then uh, 20 spaces were left for invitations and wildcard slots. And um, I was lucky enough to get one of the invitation nice. uh, slots. So it's very much kind of like if I compare it to a different sport, a bit like Grand Slam tennis. And Wimbledon has its own ranking system and stuff like that. So does it? it's kind of working in the same sort of format. Yeah, it's and, and it's trying to even out. So, you, uh, I mean, I don't want to offend anyone's results or anything, but um, sometimes because of circumstance, because of chance, um, some races, for whatever reason, just don't have a big enough field. Okay. Or they don't have a big field. So... 
you know, if, if I turned up to a smaller event um, or an event that happened to be positioned in the wrong place, um, so say it was just before a world championships and I wasn't going to a world championship, um, you're not going to get the best athletes going to that event because they'd be gearing up for the world championships. So I could win that race yeah, and it would look really good on paper. But then if you looked at the details, it might be, oh, well, no one was there or um, people, it wasn't a stronger field or your time wasn't that quick overall. So it helps kind of, if, if you've had um, a really solid race, but the positioning may not be as, as repeat that performance in another event it helps even out and and try and it's trying its best to make it fair um okay. almost like in sprinting and that when they have uh wind assist and things like yeah, that yeah, yeah. to try and show a true representation of how everyone's actually raced okay it sounds like a very innovative kind of handicap system yeah it's it, it, it i think it's just a it's just a way of if you if you wanted to say well who is the best in the world in in the PTO's opinion, that would show who was the best in the world, and okay. it, it also helps um, the PTO allocate uh, who needs support and who also should get racing opportunities, which um, I think is probably the most important thing, and it's probably the the most fair system to do that. Yeah. Okay, so going into the Challenge Daytona, what is your expectations for the race itself? Because you're against some pretty big names, and from what I've heard, you're aiming to come out of the swim in first yes i mean originally uh, at least where i've got my reputation from is being high out of the water and um uh, leading races from the front um and and that kind of showing a strong position at the front uh it's difficult to pinpoint expectations this year because um, some countries have had full access to swimming yeah some yep. countries have had uh part access some people were locked down quite a lot at the start of the year and then they were um not at restrictions to the end of the year and then and no swimming now so it's kind of very difficult because at the top there's not a lot of margin so you know if you're not 100 percent, there's going to be it's going to be shown okay um, yeah. so i think the aim is always to, to come out high out the water and if i could come up first at the water that'd be that'd be brilliant um but it's very difficult to say where, you know, that that's kind of a goal within a bigger goal. Um, because at the end of the day, it's it, you're not getting judged over the swim. Um, and if I'm not 100% on the swim, then I'm not going to sacrifice the whole race just for, just for those kind of brownie points yeah, coming out I get you, yeah. the swim high. Um, in terms of my running and cycling, which have been pretty much not affected at all, yeah, I'm better than I've ever been. So... If if my I mean I'm pretty confident about my swimming, but if my swimming is is lacking, um, I can definitely more than make up the the difference with with the improvements I've made on the cycling and running, which is where I've been um, kind of losing time to to the front of the race. Yeah. So how has your preparation for the race gone? So swimming pools were obviously closed in the UK for quite a large period of time. Did you manage to find any open water opportunities? So I'm lucky enough to live on the coast. I live um, in Eastbourne, which if people don't know where Eastbourne is, it's pretty much right next to Brighton. Yeah. Um, so we live on the coast and it's also probably the warmer of the British uh, waters. Yeah. So 
we were very fortunate that even though it was still disgustingly cold, I think we were going <laughs> in a kind of seven, eight degrees. Um, it, we at least we could swim. Yeah. Um, and I was also lucky enough to be a part of. Um, uh, well, if you know anything about me, I'm part of the team at Zen Eight. Yeah. And yeah. during the early parts of lockdown, I was training on the prototype versions. Um, which was kept very kind of uh, secret, but I was training on the prototype versions and also uh, doing a lot of experimenting with um, the band work and, and how that could best uh, help people to swim and to improve their swimming and to also offer opportunities to swim if pools weren't available. But um, yeah. my, my swimming mainly consisted of uh, doing quite a few, doing a lot of band paddle work, especially on the Zen 8 trainer and then, to make sure that I was keeping the feel of the water in the body uh, as much as I could, or at least as, as as long as I could last in the water. Yeah, how have you found that the Zen 8 has affected your long-term endurance? Because we've we've done a review on it. We got given uh, the product fairly early on as well. and we, we loved it, but we haven't had a long time in the water to really translate whether it is affecting our training and performance. So for you... Is it is it has it improved your open water endurance while you were training? It's definitely helped my swimming. It's 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 helped build up my shoulders and my my lats particularly because it's forcing me into uh, a good position. Yeah. And, it, and it's great uh, endurance and strength work. I think when people ask me about um, how it translates to the pool, I found that it, it it helps me to a very high degree. Okay. And with with, I think if if you're if you were asking the question of how how would it do if it was purely on its own, uh, big period of swimming. I mean, I'm sure you'd be aware when when you have the kind of two three weeks of swimming uh, at the end of the season, when you try and get in, it can sometimes take you know almost a month or a couple of months to feel good in the water. Yeah, you lose the feel and, of and the catch and everything in the water, don't you? Yeah. And, and rather it, rather than it taking, you know, a month or, or two months to, to get that feeling, to feel strong in the water again, um, it was down to a case of that, you know, it only took a couple of sessions to, to get that feel of the water. And because it had maintained my strength uh, and my swimming ability over, uh, if, over the option of not having any swimming at all, yeah, it, it then was very quick for me to get back into swimming. Um so I personally think that it's it's a real big help, and and because I was one of the early people on it, um, I've been experimenting with different band strengths. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some of some of the sessions that I've done on it, you know, I've spent an hour, an hour and a half on it, um, especially when it was too cold in the sea to do it. Yeah. But I found it's it's helped me massively. Great stuff. So when you are in the pool itself, and say you're in a normal swimming environment. If you are targeting a specific triathlon like the Challenge Daytona, what sort of training are you doing? Are you actually targeting the event or is your sw- swimming just ticking over and maintaining a certain level of fitness? I think it's definitely targeting the event. Um, I would say it, we. I typically follow a model of um, when you're far out, it's kind of almost less specific. Okay. Uh, and as you get nearer and nearer and nearer, it becomes more specific. Um, I mean, we do very typical, se- well, I do very typical sessions of, of what swimmers would do. I mean, that's that's my background. I came from swimming squads. Um, 
and you know typical kind of there'll always be a couple of sessions that are always kind of staples in the week yeah um so one, one session for example is um i'll always do a session kind of on that thresholdy pace where um you know it's 2100s or, or 10 200s or eight three hundreds or whatever that would be you know even sometimes going up to real big swim proper swimmer sessions where it's you know 60 100s off of a certain pace yeah um and that will that will always be in this in there uh and through the winter it will be you know doing some im work doing some fly work um and as it gets nearer and nearer and nearer to the event that's when you i, I typically do more specific work and, and one of the big differences between uh, probably pool swimming than uh open water swimming is uh, in a pool you're almost trying to hit perfect splits yeah um you know if i'm doing 800 or 400 i know my split i know my stroke count i know everything like that and that's how i would target a 400 race in a pool whereas in the open water you need to have that ability to hold that pace hold that pace but the start will be really fast okay. um because you need to get that clear water so you need that ability to sprint really, really fast and then back it up with the ability to hold pace because it will always start fast and then you then need to be able to jump on that pace. So you have to work a little bit as much as it's quite a lot of pace work and holding a pace. You also have to be able to kind of um, go really hard for 30 seconds or so and then kind of relax into it and then go really hard again. So there's quite a lot of drills and things, you know, obviously not in COVID situation, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the past where you would – you would swim in a line of a couple of swimmers or three swimmers, and then the person on the front would do an effort, and the whole line would have to go with them. Okay. Um, and then, uh, and then you take it in terms of who that would attack, and it would be something like it wouldn't be structured. So you know, you'd have 200 meters where you have to do one attack um, or two attacks. It doesn't matter where it is in the 200 meters, but it's got to be in there. So you know, you might, depending on who you're swimming with, they might do it big attack or or they might do it at the end of the 200 or the start of 200 then you've got to make sure that you've kind of maintained the overall pace but also gone with that attack oh that's interesting so it's it's much more of a team environment when you're training than i actually thought it would be yeah yeah i mean the the thing with the the triathlon is is because it's such a long event and because you are so close to people you can benefit off of uh you can sit on people's hips or feet and they'll break the water for you um There, there are tactics where I think the the thing with triathlon is you're trying to compete, you're trying to complete the the event or trying to get out the swim as high as you can, but almost using the the least amount of energy. So yeah, definitely. You know, if I'm if I'm going well in a race, um, you know, I'll, I'll stop kicking uh, to protect my legs for the bike and the running. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if I'm struggling and then trying to sit on someone's hip or I'm trying to um, react to what's happening um as opposed to in a, in the swimming world you're going for your county time or your regional time yeah so there's there's a slight difference with it. you you're kind of racing to a situation as opposed to trying to hit uh target times that you would in a swimming environment okay so in an ideal world how much of your training is in the pool and how much is it open water i think uh well in in the in this country in particular yeah. It depends. It depends on the weather. It's quite weather. Um, <laughs> the weather usually decides um, has a big role in in how much you actually do. I find personally that uh, one open water swim a week 
okay. is really really good um it doesn't necessarily have to be anything special it's just kind of working in the making sure that you're keeping up on uh sighting um different methods of swimming through current or through waves um and and with with the with the triathlon world which i know has been impacting the swimming open water world is um a lot of events now if it's a certain water temperature you'll have to wear a wet and i know the swimming community were a bit <laughs> up in arms about them introducing wetsuits into the events yeah um but it's also getting used to swimming in wetsuits because as much as um they make you faster it's, it's a different way of swimming uh and, and a different different slightly different feeling yeah your body's really high in the water with them isn't it because it adds that extra bit of buoyancy yeah it adds that extra bit of buoyancy and um it, and it, i also find uh, with top level swimmers and particularly people that are good in the pool when they put on a wetsuit, it affects their flexibility, um, and it's not as forgiving with with people that have got such a fine stroke that it's not um, that it kind of throws them off a bit. Whereas people that might have, at least in the in the perfection world, slightly off, or they might swing their arm round slightly. Yeah, it's better for them because their stroke is a, is not as uh, refined as some of the top swimmers. Um, but it, in terms of volume each week. I I think, I mean, on big weeks, you're you're for me, you're probably looking at about twenty, twenty five to thirty k of swimming. Okay. Um, but on an average week, you're probably looking more towards twenty, twenty uh, k of swimming, twenty two k of swimming uh, a week. So that's still quite a respective level. That's that's still quite a lot of swimming because I hear some triathletes who just train what, four hours a week in the pool and they, they really focus on the bike and the run? Yeah. I, I mean, I am I came up through a swimming background and I've, I've always been involved in swimming. And to be honest, I find that swimming is, is a great way to recover. Uh, yep, definitely. Um, and typically I can, I can do quite a lot in the pool. So I can do paddle pool stuff. I can do, you know, just very easy swimming and it not affect the legs. And usually with triathlon, the limiting factor of training is, how tired your legs are. Yeah. Um, and it is very, very true. I mean, the, at least in the long course racing, which I do, not necessarily the Olympic racing, which um, is also very popular, because there's no pack racing element on the bike where you can work off of people. Yeah. It doesn't, it, for an example, like a, a big gap, um, a big gap on the swim in an Ironman might be something like two minutes and that's a that's a quite a substantial gap on the swim yeah whereas on the bike you know a big gap can be you know more like 15 minutes 30 minutes so is spending four extra hours on the pool any that would probably not do me justice as much as an extra bit of training on the ride yeah um but like i said i've been able to maintain my swimming volume Whereas if you're doing the triathlon, the more Olympic side, because there is pack racing, I mean, you you kind of want to be in that front pack out of the water. Otherwise, it's it's quite hard to then then catch up. So, I mean, I think the top guy that I know of, at least who who swims in the ITU side, he's he's doing a sub four minute four hundred. Okay, yeah, um, that's he's good. like a three fifty five or something like that. So. You know, if you're looking at the Olympic side, you you can't be behind on the on the swimming element. Yeah, that's that's still a good pace to be going. 
So how much time are you spending on your run and your bike then during the week? So your typical training week, say, you're doing 20K in the pool. What are you doing on the bike and the run? Um, the bike can be very dependent on the weather. Um, and some weeks I'll do more intensity and then I will do uh, longer volume. Um, but typically I'm looking at about – I work more to time than distance. Yep. So typically – um, on the bike, I'm trying to get about 15 hours on the bike. Um, and then if there's more intensity, that will come down to about 15 hours on the bike, um, which can kind of be anywhere. It's usually kind of about 250, um, 350K on the bike. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and in regards to running at the moment, I'm probably looking at about 80 kilometers a week. Um, but again, it's it's all kind of it changes depending on your intensity and that. But but that's kind of the, the a nice volume of, of training to get in. Um, when I'm training really really well, I'm looking at about thirty hours a week. Um, some people can do more, some people can do about thirty five. But um, at the moment, if I'm wanting to keep quality in, I can't really do much more than thirty a week. You don't want to burn yourself out too early on. Yeah. We spoke about it before we started recording this podcast, and you're not actually funded by, say, GB Triathlon. It doesn't work as British swimming would. So how do you maintain this training lifestyle, let's say? Are you reliant on sponsors helping you out, or do you have a part-time job as well? So I so I guess there's, you can think of triathlon as, as two separate um, or two main areas. You've got the Olympic side, Yep. And then you've got the professional um, long course sides. Now, the Olympic side is exactly the same to swimming. The swimming budget or the triathlon budget will be determined by medals. Yeah, okay. Um, so the more medals that they can get, the more funding they can get. And likewise, they can put more funding into the athletes. So um, you will have your funded athletes. Now, the long course side, um, as much as British triathlon support the uh, events and they also have panels and, and support for the longer course athletes because it's deemed in the professional side um you're kind of more expected to be generating that income on your own and to be honest the the events are a lot more uh, based around supporting the athletes so um the events are a lot more uh, willing to give prize money and willing to help out with with accommodation things like that once you reach a certain level or, or professional status Okay. Um, so they don't really get involved that much. And I think to be honest, I, I mean, for, in order for me to keep it going, I'm relying on, uh, winnings, um, sponsorship. And, and at the moment I, I work, uh, part-time roles in, in companies and, and I've got, um, some, uh, I used to work as a lifeguard, um, uh, for getting a new job. Um, and, uh, and I also do some class instructor type things to tick okay. me over. Yeah. But um, as as much as it is a bit of a grind, it's a lot more, it's a lot better than uh, my experience within the swimming world, where you might only have a couple of athletes on funding, um, and then you've got loads of athletes at the top of their game who are who are who can't really support themselves um, other than having jobs. Um, cause I think, I mean, I remember I did a swim race in Brighton, which was, um, a little bit controversial where the top prize money I think was a hundred pounds yeah. and it, it was kind of like, it goes against the rule of the amateur side of swimming. It goes against the, um, but if you're not 
you know, say Adam Peaty or yeah, um, almost almost the, one of the top swimmers in the world, it's quite a hard life. And I've I've trained with, you know, Olympic level athletes and, and national medalists who who weren't who wasn't who weren't getting any support for their their roles. So, um, like I said, I've, even though it's a bit of a grind, it's a lot better than some sports that still kind of in the dark ages. And I think that's why the swimming league. Um, oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, it has has kind of leapfrogged swimming into the, the future of what it could be so much more because it offers, you know, athletes um, a way of making income other than just through their national governing bodies. Yeah, I mean, we spoke to a few athletes at the swimming league in what, a few weeks ago, a few days ago, and for some of them, the funding or the prize money that they're getting is probably about. Ten thousand pounds, and for them, that's paying their student loans. It's paying their accommodation. It means that they can not have to worry about anything like that, and it's it's a big help to them. So, for you to have what what sort of prize money level are we looking at when you're winning an event? Is it is it enough to sustain you for a year? Is it enough to sustain you to the next event? It's it can it can vary a lot. I mean, typically the races that I'm involved in mainly that don't require some sort of qualification criteria. Yeah. You're looking at kind of for the first place, um, it can be anywhere from kind of 3000, 6000. Okay. Um, and then that prize money usually rolls down to some of the events to fifth, some of the events to, to 10th, some okay. of the events to top 20. I mean, challenge Daytona. I mean, yep. you've got to take this with a bit of a pinch of salt because it's a championship event, but the winner of this event will get hundred thousand uh dollars okay so that certainly helped for a year or so oh yeah it's (laughs) it's if if you can if you can win the top competitions you're making a good um you're making a good living and there's also uh, quite a lot of um because sponsors are so involved in the sport which is great to see yeah there's also kind of um they're they're also willing to give contracts to to the top guys and, and that's a reasonable way of making um a living and there's also kind of you know, if, if you might not be the best athlete, but you could be the best swimmer or the best cyclist or the best runner. Yeah. Um, so you can also kind of find niches in that. And it's not uncommon to see top level swimmers. I mean, you know, Lucy Charles, for example, uh-huh. um, yep. or Richard Barger come into the sport and be able to make um, uh, a living from being the best in such the water, a good athlete. Yeah. Um, which is, and I think that sometimes with, with the swimming world, um or other sports as well that kind of rely heavily on this kind of amateur um title is is a lot of the athletes they're not amateur i mean i remember you know even when i was young county level swimmers you're talking you know two sessions a day with gym yeah um and i think it's difficult sometimes with sports like swimming and rowing and cycling and triathlon is when um i remember people when i was younger would would regard to it as a hobby um and it's not and and there's a huge dropout in swimming about 18 20 and i think a lot of it is because questions start being asked of well you've got to go to university or you've got to get a job will you and when you when you're doing that and you're also training 35 40 hours a week it's kind of for a lot of people they can't sustain that um yeah i mean that's that's definitely the reason i dropped out of swimming because at the age of 16 i was doing 20 30 hours a week in the pool in the gym and i decided i needed to pursue a career path and that i couldn't put the hours into swimming 
Yeah, and 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 all of my friends that I know, I mean, I'm pretty sure, at least to a competitive level, I think I'm one of very very few. And you're talking a big squad here that yeah. is probably still in swimming, doing it almost with the intensity that we were when we were younger. Um, and and I think sometimes it's and it's not it's not fault on. Um, the governing bodies or anything like that but there's there's definitely a difference of when you go to some of the bigger countries like australia and have some quite strong scholarship programs yeah. and things like that where in this country um it's i don't think it's it's as kind of open um, or as easy to get i mean i think you're pretty much either the best in the country or even in europe or the world um to be looking at a you know, an ability to to have it as a, as as an as an income. Yeah. Do you find that many athletes that you compete against are coming over from swimming because of lack of money and sponsors? Do you find that they are translated into these these different disciplines? I think um, triathlon is is a great sport because people 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 attack it as any sport. So swimming. Um, running you know they will treat it as professional as as those sports training lots of hours and to become a triathlete what you also find is when you take a an athlete and especially one that's loves the challenge and loves to compete and loves all of that side but they know that they can't necessarily um, sustain that and make make it a living they might do an Ironman or a half Ironman or, or, or a long course triathlon or even Olympic uh, sprint and they uh, as, as a challenge and a lot of time people come into triathlon to look for a challenge and yeah. I think um, you know if you've got if, if you're a high level swimmer or, or whatever sport that you're coming into triathlon from because you want to try something new you want to try a challenge you know you've got a good engine so it doesn't yeah. really matter what sport you've done you, you know you've got a good engine and you've got you know if, if you can swim to a high level i don't think there's any real sport that you know you've been developed in a program where you've got the strongest mentality and and the strongest kind of disciplines training you know if it's early morning sessions or just the pure hours yeah uh, and i think people come into it they see that actually you know, it goes from that, oh, I want a challenge to, I want to take this a little bit more seriously now. And then where the opportunities uh, actually to make a decent income are shown to them, then a lot of them go, oh, actually, you know, this, I can make this what I want to do. And I think a lot of people, um, when they start getting prize money, and things like that, it, it's kind of on the thought path of, you know, I'm doing well, I've got prize money, I've got excellent prize money. So this means I don't have to train, I don't have to work these I've, I've covered those hours that I would have worked. Yeah, yeah. And then they can train more, and then they do better, and then they go, well, I've just won this, or I've I've got this sponsor, so now I don't need to work those hours. And then it kind of takes over where, okay. like on a governing body program, where you're either on funding or you're not, you can almost kind of slowly build up where yeah. if, if you've got a job and you can kind of start getting that income from the sport, you can then just offload where that priority lies and if you have a bad year you can then you know work more hours or um and, and you can kind of balance it that way so it's not quite like a, have i because i know some of my friends it was like they were hanging on to make funding as soon as they didn't make it it was kind of like well that's it i can't sustain yeah. it anymore okay is that, is that your journey that you took through swimming to triathlon was it a challenge you were looking for so i 
I, I didn't even really get into a, tr a swimming background conventionally anyway. I, I was learning to swim. Um, my mum was a big believer in getting me and my brothers competent in the water. Uh, she yeah. always had kind of a, a, a semi-fear of the water. Um, and I just happened to have one of the coaches sit in um, and had watched my swimming lesson after they'd done their morning session. And they said, oh, would you like to try it? And I got into swimming that way. It wasn't ever planned. I just yeah. happened to be that the coach had stayed after one of the training sessions for longer than they normally would. And they oversaw my session. They said, oh, would you like to have a go? Well, it's always a good life-saving skill to, to have. So it, it should be the way that most people get into the sport, if I'm honest. That should be the reason they learn to swim. Yeah. And uh, and I picked, I, I was running because it was just something that I did for my school. My mum had run, so I was into that. Um and I remember cause triathlon was very, very small when I first got into it. Yeah. And I did it, to be honest, as, as some, as just some training to do. It was just like a, a challenge that would make me stronger. So okay. I almost did it as, as like a, as, as another training session. So I started competing and um, by chance, like I said, I'd, I'd got a, a good aerobic base from my swimming and my, my running. And I happened to do well in a race and I got, um, almost scouted from that race to start doing bigger and better things and it, it kind of went very progressively from there and and to be honest I mean I I'd been doing triathlon for so long that it was it was always about the love of it yeah and I'd done sport for so long and it just happened to be that um, I moved over to the long longer course side as, as a different challenge um, and it, it kind of got to a stage where I did really well in the um, Challenge Almir European Champs, and then I looked at it, saying, "Do you know what? I, this could be a this could be a career." And it was never it was never really looked at like that. Um, and I think at the end of the day, I would never regret not making it, but I would always regret not giving it a try. Yeah. So why not? Because as as soon as I get too old, it's not something that I can come back to. It's kind of you know, I've got to go now and, and try my best to, to, to make whatever I can from it um, and learn all the lessons it teaches you. And then once the time goes on, you know, I've got those skills and I've got that discipline that I can then take on into uh, whatever I decide to do in the later parts of my life. Yeah, definitely. So what are your, your future goals within triathlon before you get to that later stage of life? Is there anything you desperately want to achieve? So I've got a couple of goals that I'd like to achieve. Um, I would like to I would like to go to uh, Kona for the Ironman Championships. Yeah. Um, that's just that's just a, a race that I've always looked at. Um, I'd also like to go to uh, Challenge Roth um, and and the big big uh, and the Challenge Championships. Okay. Um, because they're they're again just just races that I've always watched. Um, and I think for me as well, a, a goal that I like goals that I'm not looking at what other people are doing. I like having goals that are kind of within me. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things I would like to achieve, and it, it, sometimes it depends on the conditions, but it's something, again, I'd like to achieve. I'd like to go sub eight hours for um, an Ironman distance. Okay. Um, just because when I was younger, it was always kind of a... Uh, a, a cool thing to do you know if you could go sub eight it was just it just sounded it just to me it just kind of uh, that was when i 
I kind of look at that going, that's like a really exciting time, just just as if, you know, time that you go under a minute for the hundred meter freestyle. Yeah, I was just about you to know, say, always, yeah. You'll always remember that time that you went under. You do, yeah. I, I still remember the exact pool I did it in. Yeah, and it and it's one of those barriers that. I'd always get like 101 or one point something, one point something. I'd be going, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And then you do. It's just like, wow. Yeah, it feels great. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's been great speaking to you. If you don't mind, something we do with all of our elite guests is we ask them some quickfire questions. Does that sound like something you'd be up to, up for? Yeah, brilliant. Okay. So they are slightly varied from our swimming ones because you do do triathlon, but hopefully they still make sense. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so what is your favourite place you have raced at? Uh, Ch- uh, uh, Almir in the Netherlands. Okay. Who is your sporting idol? David Weir. What's the hardest swimming set you've ever done? 100 100s. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> what? Not, not necessarily not necessarily a, a massive um, a, a pace, but... Uh, it's just one thing that we always used to do. Yeah, it's just uh, that's a bit of a monotonous set. I think I'd struggle with that one. <laughs> no, it's, it, do you know what? When you've got a goal like that and you set it out, it's, it's quite exciting to go for something that you've never done before. Okay, maybe when I've got a spare, what, two, three hours, <laughs> I'll give it a go. Yeah, don't do not do it straight after lockdown. That's what <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> okay, and if you were to go on a road trip, you have three guests in the car. They can be friends, family, or celebrities, anyone. Who would they be? I would really like to have a conversation with uh, Bob Bowman, uh, Michael Phelps, and Bradley Wiggins. Lovely. Some very big sporting brains there. <laughs> yes. Okay, it's, Kieran, it's been wonderful speaking to you and learning all about the world of triathlon. I, I certainly feel educated myself. I hope our audience does. Um, and good luck at Challenge Daytona. Yes, no, thank you, and um, I hope everyone's found it uh, interesting yeah. and maybe learning about um, kind of a different different sport and, and learning about kind of some of the ins and outs of, of sport and, and how kind of swimming changes or swimming might be slightly different, uh, even though it's, it's in a very similar world. Yeah, it's certainly a path that m- some, what, age group swimmers can look at going if they don't feel like they can make it to the elite level of swimming. There is a different path for them out there. You don't have to completely yeah, and, give it up, and and even the even just 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 a challenge because yeah you know if if I mean we you know the swimmers out there can correct me if I'm wrong but you know some swimming times you know you can peak almost at 20 years old or 22 or very young yeah um and that's quite a a quick time really to to get really competitive deep on so um you know if, if if you feel like i know especially with me there was periods where i just didn't feel like anything was changing and it was almost taking the love away yeah um you know just trying new things and different challenges can kind of sometimes let you have a little break and and then you can progress further from there yeah i've always said i'd really like to give a sprint triathlon a go i'm absolutely rubbish at running so there's no chance i'd be doing an iron man with a marathon at the end but a sprint triathlon certainly on my radar in the near future yeah, no, and 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 and, and I, I'd like to. I mean, my experience of the triathlon community is everyone's really, really supportive. It's kind of it's not about you know beating the next person next to you. It's it's trying to get through as a community. I mean, oh, the big races yeah. that I've been to, you know, I've gone past competitors or competitors have come past me, and every single time it's been well done, brilliant. Let's keep going. I'll see you at the finish line, sort of thing. And then 
um it's kind of based off of an experience so you yeah. know you'll do your race and then everyone will have a big meal together afterwards it's, it's quite um it's a great community it's, like, feel. It's, it's, yeah great community it's, it's not just you know you do your race and go home it's um everyone cares for each other out there brilliant well good luck for the future and challenge daytona we will be keeping an eye on your progress and hopefully we will we can catch up again soon yeah no i'd love that okay great thanks for speaking to us karen thanks for having me cheers bye bye Okay, that just about rounds up this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. We look forward to bringing you insightful new content and interviews on next week's show. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Like I say, every week, it helps us really grow in the space of swimming and outside of the world of swimming, which is the goal of Propulsion Swimming. We want to bring swimming to a wider audience. So please leave us a review. Please subscribe to us on all of your podcast platforms so you don't miss next week's episode. And we will see you in the next one.